Well, hey, we have been in a series called Speaking of Christmas. This has been our Advent or our Christmas series. And uh, we're getting towards the finish line here. Uh, and in our series, what we've been doing is we have been looking at the four Gospels, the, the four books in uh, our Bible that we have that tell the story of Jesus, his life, his teaching, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. Uh, we find those in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've been looking at how each writer, each Gospel, tells us a different piece of the Christmas story. They give us another sort of insight and perspective. We've been talking a lot about perspective here at South Creek lately, and just this reality that we may all know the same story, we may all see the same thing, but there may be things that uh, we find more uh, important or things that just rise up in in us that uh, we just think are more important. For example, when we talked about the Gospel of Matthew, we looked at the history of Christmas. We looked at the genealogy of Jesus, and we looked at this reality that God has this history of being faithful and being working in the background. And we talked about how God uses people like us, broken with stories that maybe others wouldn't want to tell to bring about hope to the entire world. We looked last week at the Gospel of Mark, which arguably has the least amount of Christmas in it. And we looked at this idea of the preparation of Christmas and this idea that throughout the history of God and his relationship with his people, he was constantly preparing the way for Jesus. That Jesus never was uh, was some sort of backup plan. Jesus was always the plan. The plan was always that God would be coming back to live and dwell among his people. But we looked at this, this reality that for thousands of years, God was using prophets, and then he used a man named uh, John, John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, to truly prepare the way for Jesus, who eventually would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. This morning, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke. Now, the Gospel of Luke is one of the most interesting of the Gospels because uh, the writer of Luke is a man by the name of Luke. I know that's kind of shocking, right? And uh, Luke is the only of the Gospel writers who was a non-Jew. He was a Gentile. And so he writes with a different perspective uh, than the others did because while he deeply cares about, if you read through his Gospel the history of the Jewish people, you can tell that there's some other pieces in which he's very interested in telling the stories of the outsiders, those who were not necessarily within the family. And he's very, to him it's very important that the readers would understand that the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people. And it's actually a two-part uh, book series. So uh, the writer of Luke was a doctor, an actual physician, and he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. If you don't know about Paul, Paul has this crazy story you can read about in Acts where he is a person who quite literally killed Christians, hate Christians, uh, and God blinded him and uh, just had this really cool story how God changed his life. But Luke followed him, and Luke decided to put together a gospel account that was a little bit more thorough, that had multiple different people's eyewitness accounts, and he wanted, he was a very detail-oriented person, but then he also put together this second book called uh, The Acts of the Apostles, or as we like to call it today, Acts. And it tells sort of the story of the early church and how it became uh, founded. And uh, Luke is just very detailed, but Luke tells a lot about the first Christmas story. He has a lot of detail for us that we don't have time to dive into, but I would urge you, if you get a chance this week, some of it will be guided through your journal if you have one, but if not, uh, take some time this week maybe and open up the Gospel of Luke and just read the first few chapters and, and, and you'll get some more of the details. But what's interesting about the Gospel of Luke is 
Uh, one of the big things that stuck out to me that I didn't really notice before in the past when I would read through the Gospel of Luke is that truly uh, Luke's Christmas story is basically a musical. And uh, there's a lot of songs. Now, I like that. I don't know if anyone else likes musicals. I'm, I'm some, if anyone wants to take my man card, I will gladly let you take it. But I love musicals. I love music in general. I don't know about you, but Christmas to me is synonymous with music. Um, I mean, there's the classics that everyone loves, like Christmas Shoes and uh, Christmas Don't Be Late by the Chipmunks. Uh, I think that one won a Grammy before. Um, you know, there's lots of, okay, maybe not that one. Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. I think that's a theological one. Um, there's a lot of great Christmas music out there for real, though. You know, we think of songs like Joy to the World, like we sang this morning. We think, oh, come, O come, Emmanuel. Uh, so much of the early church was founded on music and this idea that the people would gather together and they would sing. And part of that had to do with it was a way that the early church fathers could teach theology. Theology just means sort of thinking about God and understanding it. You know, we kind of take for granted that we live in a world and in a country that is highly literate. Um, we have just the, the access that we can find on our phone, a free application uh, and read scripture all the time. But people in those days, they couldn't necessarily do that. So they had to sing and tell the stories. This happened in the Old Testament where Part of the, the way that they would continue on telling the stories of like how God took them out of uh, enslavement in, in Egypt, they would sing songs. And the Gospel of Luke has about four different songs, and we're going to hit on most of them. But to set it up, you have to understand this idea that the preparation leading up to the Gospel of Luke, the, the, just the Gospel really in general, was silence. From the last prophet, a person who would have spoke on behalf of God to his people, uh, when we read in the Old Testament, we find prophets like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like Malachi, like Micah. And it's about a 400-year period from the time that God last spoke that we have at least written and recorded to, get to his people until the point in which we find out that John the Baptist is going to be born. That's a long period of silence. How many of you guys like silence? See, some of us like silence, but... Does everyone feel sort of a tension in silence sometimes? You feel a little uncomfortable? It does, right? There's something where we're clinging, you're waiting. When someone has been speaking and then all of a sudden it just sort of stops, there is this sort of discontent there's this tension of waiting right and so we have to understand that as we approach scripture in particular the gospel we have to take we can't take for granted this fact that man when when there's silence like let's be honest when you're having a a lively discussion maybe with your spouse that never happens in my house we are you know we have perfect marriage obviously we never argue or anything like that when there's silence sometimes, that's scary, isn't it? You're like, what's going to happen next? No matter who you are. My wife feels that way too. She's like, what is he going to say next on Sunday morning? Um, but we feel that way, right? There's the tension there and just the like, what is going to happen? And even just a few minutes ago, uh, when I was, what, maybe silent for 30 seconds, it probably felt like minutes, right? Can you imagine 400 years? 400 years in which you've heard the promises of God, you've heard the coming of Messiah, but it just seems like it's going silent. Now again, there could have been things written we just don't know about. I'm sure that God in some ways was talking with his people in some regards, and maybe God was trying to talk and they just weren't listening. 
Lord knows I know that's part of my story. But either way, there's so much of an anticipation, a waiting, a longing. And we have to imagine that there were some people who maybe fell off during that time. But let me just tell you this before we're going to dive into uh, the first song, which is Mary's song. Is silence doesn't mean distance or absence. Silence does not mean a distance or an absence. Just because you cannot see him or hear him does not mean that he's abandoned us. Just because it seems like God has abandoned you, let me promise you that never has he really left us. Even in that 400 years, while we know not a lot about that, I have to imagine that God still was providing for his people. God still was sparking hope in them. And God had not given up on his plan. You know, the issue is sometimes we get so stuck down in the weeds, so deep down in the valleys of different trials in our lives. We're waiting on the next job. We're waiting on the next uh, phone call about a certain medical procedure. We're waiting on so many things. And sometimes it can be so difficult in those moments in the valleys where it's just hard to see, is there a way out? And I want to promise you two things this morning. That God has a plan. There is a way out. And that he's never left you. You may not see him. You may not hear him. But I promise you, he has not left you. He has not abandoned you. And he loves you. Because that's the true story of Christmas. If you miss anything else this morning, is that is that God does not abandon us. Our God is a God who is with us and is a God who is for us. And who is always fighting our behalf. Even when we can't see it. Even when we don't deserve it. Even when we've been unfaithful. That's a good God. And we can trust him. All right. If you have a Bible, you can open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. If not, you're going to see it up on the screen. And I'm going to try to go through some of these fast because I want to hit all of these without putting anyone to sleep. The first song that we find is called the Song of Mary. And the Song of Mary happens immediately after uh, Mary finds out that she is pregnant with Jesus. So if you don't know the story, Mary is this woman. She's this young girl who's pledged to be married to this man named Joseph, who is a descendant of King David himself. And Mary uh, has been faithful. She's been good. But here's kind of the cool thing about Mary. There's nothing significant about her family pedigree. There's nothing significant. She doesn't come from riches. She comes very, uh, you could arguably say, a poor family. But God finds favor upon her. He sees her as a faithful person who has not given up on the promises of God. And so he chooses her and he sends an angel to her, letting her know, one, that she is going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and she is going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And that, two, her cousin Elizabeth, her cousin Elizabeth, who is much older than her, who's married to a prophet named Zechariah, who their biggest longing in life was to be able to have a child. And yet they couldn't have a child. And they had begun to just give up on the dream in their old age. They find out that God has fulfilled a promise to them and that they are pregnant and that this child is going to be the one who prepare the way for her son, Jesus, who will be the Savior. Now, we're going to read Zechariah's song in a moment, but I want to read to you Mary's first. Mary has just heard this news and she is filled with joy. Now, what's joy? Joy is not happiness, right? Happiness, let's make a distinction. Happiness is a a feeling, it's an emotion that is wholly dependent upon our circumstances and our scenarios. When I get a flat tire, I am not happy. When I find out that uh, I got a free 
uh, hot box pizza in the mail, which happens from time to time. Praise God. The Lord provides. He gives me my daily bread. I'm happy. You know, there's this distinction. Joy, on the other hand, is something that is not in, in that, especially joy that's found in Jesus, is not something that's dependent upon our circumstances, our scenarios. In fact, Paul, one of the early church leaders, actually said, uh, you know, give thanks, consider it pure joy whenever you experience trials. Whew. I, I'm still working on that one. But we find that joy is something that happens because of this, this long-range view. Happiness is all about the short, short range. The short run, joy is this long-term peace. Because here's what's, what's interesting. Mary is just going to sing this song of joy that I'm going to read in a minute. But here's what you got to think. Okay, imagine if you just find out this news, that you're pledged to a man, you're this young woman, and you're going to have to tell this person that you're pregnant with the Holy Spirit. You're not going to think around Nazareth that was never like you know told before, like, oh, I promise, honey, it was just the Holy Spirit. Come on, you don't think anyone ever tried that one before? You have to imagine that so much of her life has just been altered. And while I wholly understand that if an angel came to me and told me those things, it would be good, but I have to imagine that in my humanness, man, there'd also be some anxiety. There'd be some pieces where I'd know that, okay, you're going to tell me that my son is going to lead this revolution. You're telling me that I'm going to have to stand before these people. There's so much of... The, the chaos, and, and, and while it's easy to just think like, well, Aaron, come on, she knows how it all works out. You know, we read the story knowing the end, right? Can you imagine being Mary in that moment? But Mary's response is not one of happiness, but it's one of joy. And this is what she says. Hear these words, and may this become a, a prayer uh, for you as well. This is a song that actually was sung by the early Christians for centuries. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He scatters the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalts the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away with them empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. He has made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Now, I don't have enough time to to, to, to dissect every piece of that, but so much of this is rooted in Old Testament promises. So much of this is a song in which Mary, who would have, grown up in a family likely which would have known the old testament scriptures would have been hanging on to the promises even as they are in they're in a bad place they're oppressed by the roman empire and they're just longing for this she rejoices because she sees the fact that god has not abandoned them that god has not forgotten about his promises that god has been merciful to his people now again mercy is all about giving it's all about giving uh to people when they don't deserve it right it's all about just giving this, this, this mercifulness. And so Mary just cries out this, this just praise to, for all the people of Israel really at this moment, just saying, how good is my God? How good is my God? I can't see where everything else is going to go from here. I don't know, but I trust you, and I am humbled and honored to be used by you. Can you imagine if when God began to say crazy things to us, because 
here's, here's a promise I do believe in. I believe that if we're to listen, God has missions for every one of us. It may not be to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit and, uh, you know, birth the Savior of the world, especially us men. I'm going to assume especially that probably just a lot of ways wouldn't work. But I believe if we're willing to listen, God has a special mission for all of us. He has a special promise for us. And the big question will be, will we listen? Will we follow? Will we praise him with joy for the fact that he's going to save us? Will we praise him with joy for the fact that we're going to be used? Or will we be fearful? Or will we just not listen? The choice always is ours. Now, the second song that we find is the song of Zechariah. Zechariah has this cool story. Again, I said him and Elizabeth, they wanted a child. They couldn't have a child. And what ends up happening is Zechariah was a priest. And one of the days while he was doing his priestly duties, he was in the temple. And the Lord spoke to him and said that he was going to have this son, this child. And because he didn't believe at first, God silenced him for the whole pregnancy. And all the women said, Lord, give me that as well. But this whole time he can't speak. Again, granted, he would have heard things, but can you imagine what that would do in our own lives if we couldn't speak for a while and all we could do is listen? I feel like there's a bigger lesson in there, but I'm not going to get into that deeply right now. But Zechariah, this whole time, he can't speak until finally John the Baptist, he's born that day. They're about to give the name, and they just are saying, oh, surely we're going to name him Zechariah. And, and, and Elizabeth just bursts out and says, no, it's going to be John. And everyone's like, no, no one's ever had that name. And Zechariah's first words, he finally just proclaims that he is John as well. And his first words is this song, this poem that he speaks in which he is just praising God. Now, I don't know about you, but if God did something like that to me, I'd probably, like, I'd have a little bit of a bone to pick with him. I'm just going to be honest. I'm, I'm a little petty. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect yet. But Zechariah's posture, his immediate response to his son being born, to finally being able to speak again, is praise. And he just says this. He says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has visited and redeemed His people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of His servant David, just as He promised through His holy prophets long ago. I love what he says in verse 68, that the God of Israel, He has visited and redeemed His people. You know, that's incredibly significant. Because all gods of that time and that culture, again, they were not a, a, a god who would be personal, would be up close, would come near, would become like them. They were always distant. They were always something to be far away, who just sort of let the life happen, and occasionally maybe they would intervene. But we see in this proclamation, this, this praise, this joy that Zechariah has, is this idea that our God is a God who comes near, who is quite literally in the trenches with us. He celebrates on the mountaintops with us and he holds our hand and he cries with us in the valley. I don't know about you, but that's a really good God. That's a God I would follow, that I would give my life to. And that's a God who gave his life for me and he gave it for you. You see, the truth is, praising him oftentimes is being faithful and clinging to the hope of promises not yet fulfilled but knowing that he's still with us, which is enough. You know, that's an interesting thing. Sometimes just recognizing that God is going to fulfill his promises, and most importantly, that he's with us, that's enough. You know, I could tell you 
tons of stories in the Old Testament. I could tell you tons of stories in my own life of times where God has given me a promise. He's given me hope of something. And I've tried to make it happen myself. And it didn't work out. And I just wish I could go back and just trust Him in those moments where I couldn't see a way out. When I could just trust Him with the fact that He's got it. And most of all, that I could trust Him that He would lead me out of it. That He wasn't going to abandon me just because I was unfaithful at times. That He wasn't going to abandon me because I I felt I was unworthy. That He truly believed that I was His Son. We sang this song this morning, Who You Say I Am. You know, there's so many of us that we can sing that song, uh, you know, Yes, I am. Sorry. I didn't warm up the pipes this morning. But there's so many of us that sing those songs, yet in our hearts we don't feel worthy to be called that. And this morning I'd love for you to know that any voice that tells you differently, any voice that says, no, God's abandoned you, you're not worthy of being redeemed and restored. Let me just tell you, that is a lie from the enemy himself. That you are a loved son, you are a loved daughter, who God deeply and desperately wants to lead out of the darkness that maybe you find yourself in this morning. And he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay there. He loves you so much that he wants to change your life. Sometimes people will be like, well, no, 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 if I become a Christian, then my life has to change. Well, yeah, of course it does. Because do we want to stay in a place where we feel hopeless? Where we feel no peace? Where we're just constantly running after the happiness in our life that is fleeting when we could have joy that is sustaining through every storm of our lives? Of course. And then comes the song that we all know. We've all heard Linus recite this verse, right? You know, they're shepherds. They're out in the fields watching their flocks at night. And the angels of the Lord appeared to these shepherds, not to kings, not to the in crowd, not the most important people, but to shepherds. And they just said, do not be afraid. I love the fact that whenever God uses his angels, whenever God speaks to people, he always typically calms them first by just saying, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And then we find this fact that all of a sudden, this is the verse that's going to be up on the screen, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, glory to the God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Man, can you imagine being those shepherds and just hearing? We don't know for sure. We always say that they sung. We don't know if they really sung, but I like to think they sang because I think there's something just naturally about the way that God created us. He created the angels that when there is joy, we sing. And can you just imagine what it would have looked like? Now, I don't know if you guys, anyone ever seen the Northern Lights? I've seen the Northern Lights a few times. It's just sort of this crazy, cool green thing. And it, it, I'll still never forget, I'm at my um, friend's house in the country, and they just sort of appear on a November day. And I will never forget just the beauty, the majesty of it, and just the, the feeling that I had just seeing the beauty of God's creation. I can only imagine it being a thousandfold like that, when just all these angels appear to these shepherds, and they just begin praising and singing for the fact that a Savior has come, that hope has arrived. Jesus, the light of all the world, is here for all people. That's really, really good news. I'm going to invite the band back up, and they're going to close us out with 
uh, a couple more songs. Uh, but I want to tell you maybe my favorite story in all of the Gospel of Luke. Right? One of my favorite stories is that after Jesus is born, they take him to the temple, which is a normal thing. They go through some different purifications, and uh, he gets the ceremonial snip, snip. And um, Sorry, I had to. Um, and while they're there, they, they meet two different people. They, they meet a man named Simeon and a, man, and a woman named Anna. And they are, are a priest and a prophet, and they're not necessarily connected there, but they're two people who were older in age, people who had been faithful to the one true God, had believed in him. Even in the darkness, even in the silence, they believed that God was going to save his people, that God was going to fulfill all the promises that they had said before. And they have these moments where both of them meet this baby Jesus. They meet Mary, and they just exclaim to this, this idea that this is who God says it is. This baby truly is the Savior of the world. And Simeon is one of my favorite people. I think that name's kind of fun too. And uh, he sings this song when he meets baby Jesus. He just says, The Sovereign Lord, let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people, which is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He is to be the glory of your people, Israel. I love, love, love that. Because I have to imagine there were moments probably in Simeon's life where it felt like, I don't know if I can continue believing. There were moments in his life where I'm sure it was hard to continue to hold out hope. There were moments in his life, I'm sure, where he didn't feel like there was ever going to be peace on earth. And yet as he held Jesus, as he met them, there had to be something so beautiful about the idea that someday all the promises that God has made to us, he will fulfill. They may not be in the way that we expect. They may not be in the timing that we want, but he will. And I love the fact that both Simeon and Anna, they rejoiced in the Savior that God gave them, not in the one that the people probably wanted. They didn't know exactly what Jesus would grow up to be like. They didn't know how it would all happen. But they knew when they saw it that God was there, that he was good, and he loved them, and he was going to redeem them. Let me just tell you guys this. The source of everlasting joy is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. You can seek so many things in this world. You can seek success, you can seek relationships, you can seek the perfect family, you can seek money. There's so many things you can seek, but I promise you that nothing will give you a lasting sense of just peace, of completion, and of hope beyond this world than just a relationship with Jesus. And the good news is all we have to do is ask Him to come into our life. All we have to do is ask Him to forgive us of our sins and begin to following after Him. And we don't have to be perfect, and we just take it day by day. But I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me, and I want to read this last scripture, and then we're going to sing. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. And it just says this. It says, As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. But here's the kicker. Here's the great piece. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete.
Listen, God gives us the gift of joy through different relationships, through all sorts of things. But your joy will never be complete. You will always feel a holy discontent, a tension, a, a just vacuum, a void, until you completely surrender your life to Jesus. This morning I want you to know that you are worthy, that you are loved, that God is near, and He came for you. Not because you're perfect, not because you could earn any of it, not because you'll ever get to a place where you truly can deserve it. But He came to be the light of all the world just because He loves you. And He is good. Let me pray. We're going to sing. God, I just thank You so much for who You are. God, I praise You just for the way that, God, You take care of us. God, I praise You for the fact that, God, never once were we truly alone. God, that even in the silence, God, you weren't distant. God, even in our unfaithfulness, you haven't stopped working on our behalf. Constantly preparing a way for us. Now, God, we know now that the way is truly just your son. But God, I pray right now, especially for those of us, God, who maybe we are just in a dark, deep valley. God, truly, we are just, we don't see a way out. God, maybe we've made some poor decisions. God, maybe we're in a a toxic relationship. God, maybe we're in a dead-end job. God, maybe we're just wondering where the next meal, where the next paycheck is going to come from. God, maybe our marriage is on on the rocks. God, no matter what it is, God, I pray that we would know that you are a God who follows through on his promises. That you are a God who can redeem. You're a God who can restore broken things. You're a God who can fill us with hope when we feel hopeless. God, who can clean us up when we feel unworthy. And God, I just thank you so much for the fact that, God, you would love us so much right where we are, that you would come near, that your word would become flesh, that Jesus would come into this world to redeem and restore it. So, God, this morning I pray that maybe if there are some people in this room, God, who have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, God, who have just been feeling this discontent, this this lack of peace, this lack of joy in their life, God, I pray maybe even in this moment, God, that they would just pray to you. They would, they, and, and prayer doesn't have to be anything uh, important. There's not a special prayer. Just that they would reach out to you and they would say, Lord, I'm sorry for the distance that's been between us. I'm sorry for the sinfulness, the brokenness in my life. Lord, I just ask you to forgive me. And would they know that they can count on the fact that He will? And would they just ask Him to just be the Lord of their life, their Abba Father? And would they just begin to abide, to remain in Him? God, some of us have walked away. God, we've made poor decisions. We know You. But God, maybe this morning is the time that we we make a U-turn. We have a homecoming with You. God, would we do that this morning? God, would we be redeemed and restored in our relationship? And would, God, we just have a huge party? Would there just be great joy for that? And, God, for some of us, we know that there are those in our lives, God, who have they've walked astray. God, they're in the middle of a valley right now. They're family members, their children, their spouses, their friends, their coworkers. And, God, we can see the fact that they are in the deep, dark valley. And, God, maybe some of us are being called this morning, God, to journey down there and to be with them. Not so they stay there, but God, so that there is a personified piece of you. That we, on behalf of you, can be that love, can be that presence. And we can help let them know that there is hope and help them walk out of that valley and into the light. God, we thank you for the fact that you sent your son into this dark world to be the light of all the world, to be the hope. Now, God, would we as your people shine that light in the dark places as well. God, we love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus.
In his name I pray. Amen.